Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read from verses 1 through 9. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. I want to talk a couple of minutes today about the fact that He made us free. He made us free. What I, when I think about what it cost him, when I think about a spike like this and the thorns that the ground produces and something so beautiful even as a rose, if you hold this the wrong way, it'll cut you. It's beautiful and it's dangerous at the same time. But yet it has great meaning. Those thorns are there for a reason. We'll get it in in a couple of minutes. But uh, just wanted you to think about that. That our redemption cost. It wasn't free like many people say. It cost. There was a price connected with it. It cost the life of the perfect Lamb of God. God in the flesh since none of us were able to be the perfect lamb, he had to come himself. Hallelujah. The Bible reads as follows. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel or an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. And he sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning. And his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, they shook for fear of him. And they became as dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to bring his disciples the word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying rejoice so they came and held them by the feet and they worshipped him and Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee where they will see me amen father we thank you today we praise magnify and honor your name dear Holy Spirit we ask now that you would teach us that you would minister to us that you would open up the eyes of our understanding that we might get a glimpse of what you did for us on the cross. And not just on the cross, your whole earthly ministry, a cross, a cross experience, and also the resurrection. How all of that combined fulfilled the prophecies of old. And today we've been restored. We've been redeemed. We've been brought back by the perfect, precious, almighty blood of the Lamb. Father, we magnify your name today. We, we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you minister to us, that you open up the eyes of our understanding, 
And Lord, that by the time we leave this place, may the joy of the Lord permeate our hearts and may revelation knowledge flow like rivers of living water in us and through us, O oh God, to a lost and dying generation so that they too might be able to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in the majestic and precious name of our Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. So three things we could readily see in the disciples' response. First point is that they were totally caught off guard and surprised. Nobody expected what happened. Not a one of them. They didn't expect him to rise from the dead. They were hoping that he wouldn't die because they believed and trusted in him as long as he was alive. But nobody had been able to defeat death. But yet Jesus promised, you'll see me again. And the angel says, just like he told you, he came back up. The third day he rose again. So the second thing that happened is they were cautious since they'd already been let, let down, deeply hurt. Anybody here ever, have you ever been let down before? Anybody been disappointed? Well, he was disappointed. He was let down. All the ladies were let down. The disciples were let down. Over 500 people were left down, let down. So they were cautious. But when they saw the angel, they saw the stone rolled away. And by the way, the Jews, not the Jews, the, the, the Romans had to concoct a story because they could not receive what had happened. The soldiers were so afraid, deathly afraid, they went over to their supervisors and said, you don't understand. An angel rolled away that stone. He says, uh, we cannot bring that to our governor because if you bring that, they're going to say you're crazy. So let's concoct a story. And the story will be at night, the disciples came and stole the body. That's more plausible. You can believe something like that. What do you mean an angel from heaven coming and rolling away the, sto or the stone? Now here are some of the arguments that you he hear today. Um, Jesus died. They took the body. Nobody knows where the body is, right? So my question to you is why would a person like Peter, who was so afraid that he rejected the Lord three times, he lied three times so he wouldn't get in trouble. Later on, this man is so bold that he's willing to go to death for a situation that was a lie, that he knew was a lie? I don't think so. I don't think so. And how about the fact that over 500 people saw Jesus when he came back to life? Five different eyewitness accounts. How about the four Gospels? Many people think it's the same author. No, no, there were over 40 authors. And the Gospels were written by four different people. All of them said the very same thing. And before, these guys were fishermen, they were doctors, they were businessmen. One of the guys who testified later on, a guy called Saul of Tarsus, was vehemently against Christians. So if it was a lie, why would a guy that was formerly, formerly persecuted the church turn around and now become the greatest proponent of the gospel and say, I'm willing to die? One of the guys said, no, no, when it came time for him to die, they crucified him upside down. At his request, because he says, I'm not going to die like my Lord and Savior. Why would they have so much passion and be willing to hold up for a lie? Because it wasn't a lie. <laughs> this actually happened. People witnessed it. Amen. He satisfied all righteousness. So these people that were afraid later on when they saw Jesus, and it wasn't just Thomas that doubted, they all doubted. Later on, become, they became mighty men and women of God. Hallelujah. The angel told them, don't be afraid. So 
after that, they were filled with joy. I'm about to share a couple of things with you that's going to fill your heart with joy. Because have you experienced what I've experienced? And that is, you come to Jesus. You ask God to help you, right? And he does, and you feel the presence of God in church. But then you go home, you, have, you still have the same issues, the same challenges, the same passions. You still get caught up, beset with the same sins. Anybody here? Happens to me too. I have to deal with the same things, the same struggles in my flesh. What happened? Well, let me start by saying that term Easter was adopted by the early church in the 8th century. The original name is not actually Easter. It's Passover or Pesach in the Old Testament. Probably I'm not even saying it correctly. It was a transliteration. But that word Pesach means to leap or skip over. It meant to have a sense of God's merciful bypassing the homes where the lamb's blood was applied. It also means protection, deliverance, and rescue. Say this with me. The blood protects. The blood delivers. The blood rescues. Something about the blood that is so precious to God that God said, if you ever want to be forgiven, I have to see blood. If you ever want deliverance, I have to see blood. If you ever want the enemy's actions to be nullified, I have to see some blood. Blood is a lot more than what you, and I think, just something red, a red liquid. No, no. People look into it and it carries oxygen. It carries life. Life is in the blood. And when Jesus Christ died, he said, I'm going to write a new covenant, a new contract in my blood. So we know already that wherever the blood is applied, everything is restored back to original state. Restoration is an awesome word because it means being restored to its original value, its original state, its original uh, condition, its original influence and authority. God restored us to our original influence, our original authority, our original purpose. If you go back to the, the garden of, of, of the, the first garden, amen, the garden of Eden, Adam walked with God. Adam had joy. Adam had authority. He named the animals. He had power in his mouth. Now, after he gave up, by virtue of disobedience, he gave up that right to our enemy. Somebody had to restore it. And the problem is, the first garden, there was a man there that messed it up. But later on, you see in another garden, another man restoring it for us so there are two gardens the garden of eden and the garden of gethsemane so i'm going to get into this because i want to share several things that are going to impact that area in your life that's affected today so first and foremost jesus redeemed us he brought us back by his own blood in first peter chapter 1 verse 18 first peter 1 18 it says for you know that god paid a ransom to save you from your empty life that empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So somebody bought you back. Say to your neighbor, he bought me back. He redeemed us. The word redeem means to buy back. And notice, what's important to us here on earth? Is it not gold and silver? How many would like right now a nice bar of gold? I wouldn't mind a bar of gold. Right now it's very, very expensive. Just an ounce is about $1,700. Imagine a bar of gold. But isn't it interesting that God reminds us 
that we were not inherited, or rather, we were not ransomed, and it says by mere gold or silver, but by the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So Friday, we celebrated the fact that Jesus went on the cross and died. Where did Jesus shed his blood? On the cross, right? Anybody? Is this a confusing question? Where did Jesus shed his blood? Okay. How about if I tell you he shed his blood on seven different occasions? And remember, wherever the blood is shed, there is power of restoration. There is a, a, a rebooting of authority. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, God had set a ceremony, interesting ceremony, where two goats were used to represent the forgiveness of sin and atonement. One particular goat, he was sacrificed, and they would take the blood of that goat and sprinkle it on another goat and send that goat as a sacrificial goat into the desert. But what I did not know is that they would take the blood and sprinkle it on him seven times before they sent them out. Not once, but seven times. So Leviticus 6, 4, 16, 14 says, And he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it to the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. So it's very important. Jesus' blood was not, uh, wasn't shed just once. It was shed seven times. Not only are we saved by the blood, but the blood of Christ was shed in every area of our lives. Think about an area, the blood was shed for that. The blood was shed in seven different places so that we might be made whole. Not only forgiven, but also set free from bondage of sin, from iniquities of our past, of our forefathers that had entered through our, in our families through our bloodline. We have been set free. We've been saved. But we've also been delivered from iniquities, different iniquitous patterns that we have to live with, that we have to deal with. Your iniquity might be different than mine. I was raised in a different setting. And my parents, you know, they're wonderful people, worked very hard, but part of their iniquity was alcoholism. They had allowed that to come into their life. And unfortunately, at a very, age, a very early age, I was exposed to that. So when I came to Christ, um, I remember being delivered and set free, but for every once in a while, I would think about that. That thing was still alive in me. I didn't know that once Christ delivered me and set me free, I now have the authority to break the power of Satan's grip in my life. Because not only did he save me and deliver me and set me free, and I was adopted into a new family, but how, how many of you know you can be adopted into a new family, but now you have to be trained in the ways of that new family? See, so you belong legally. You have the authority because you, have the now, you have now have the last name, but now you have to be trained in the ways of that new family. Your old family had a different way of being. They spoke differently. They acted differently. They had different patterns. We've been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. <clears throat> so seven areas the blood was shed. First area, interestingly enough, was the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus went to the garden at the beginning of that suffering moment, right after he had had that beautiful dinner with them, that Lord's Supper. And he said, I have desired to have this supper with you <clears throat> before my passion, before my suffering. They did not understand what he was about to do. 
in his humanity, he knew he was about to be spat upon. He knew he was about to be slapped in the face. They were going to rip the, 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 the skin off of him, the, the flesh off of him, his, his beard, they were going to rip it off. They were going to beat him. He was going to go through the whipping post. He knew all of this. And he had to struggle all of that right at the garden. So when he went down to pray for the first time, he, he started, it, it's almost like he started going through that nervousness and, and that passion and, and, and that fight between the will of man and the will of God. While the disciples slept, he went through the greatest agony ever, any mere mortal could have ever have gone through. And he actually said this. He said, Father, is there any other way? Can this cup pass by me? And then he, each and every time he prayed, he would say, but not my will, let your will be done. In the Old Testament, the first Adam said, let not your will be done, let my will be done. But the last Adam said, let not my will be done, let your will be done. In the first garden, we lost our individuality in a sense. We lost our authority. In the first garden, we lost our willpower. In the first garden, the ground became cursed. And so what happened? God told him that from now on, the ground would bear thorns and thistles to you because of your action. So one of the first manifestations of the first garden is a thorn. So even though the, the, gar the garden would bear beautiful things, you touch them and you get cut as a reminder of our condition. But yet, the last Adam, we call him the last Adam, not the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the one that came to restore, to redeem. As he suffered and agonized, something that we think now, we believe now, is a medical condition that during severe stress, literally your capillaries break and you start bleeding out your skin. He started bleeding and the blood fell on the ground. So he sanctified the ground. So what did we lose in the first garden? Our authority, our uniqueness, our influence. What did we lose? Our willpower. Adam didn't have the willpower to resist, but Jesus did. Hallelujah. Yep, you don't understand, I keep on getting back to the sin. Well, I want to let you know today that the blood of Christ was shed so that your willpower would be restored. In the past, you didn't tell the devil no. You didn't tell that circumstance. You didn't tell that situation no. But now you have the power to stand as a man or a woman of God and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I now have the authority. I now have restored willpower. I now have the power, the influence to tell you, get thee behind me. This is my guard now. It's been restored to me. And in that garden now, you have the right to walk with God. In that garden now, you have the right to hear God. You have the right to speak with God. You have the right to walk hand in hand with God. In that garden, you're now called a son of God. A daughter of God. So the first thing that was restored to us, awesomely enough, is that ability to be able to look the devil in the eye and say, I resist you. And now I have the power, the restored power. You know, many of us, we've been depleted because we did not know that the ransom was paid for that. Yes, we were saved. But he also shed blood on the garden. Say to your neighbor, he shed blood on the garden. Amen. And what did he do? He went about all his life just healing people, blessing them, restoring them. Now we can walk like Jesus walked on earth. 
healing people, blessing them, speaking life to them. Why? Because our willpower has been restored. Our authority has been restored. Our relationship has been restored. Tell your neighbor now, I am now a child of God. I am now a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Come on, you can tell them. Amen. The second thing that was restored to us came when he went to the whipping post. By his stripes, we were healed. As they whipped him, it was customary to whip 40 times, but they whipped him 39 times. Usually by the 40th time, the person would die. They would never get to the cross. They would just die. But Jesus endured, uh, he endured 39 lashes. I won't get uh, too extensive in terms of the explanation because it, it is gory what happened to him. But the bottom line is, is that by his stripes, 39 stripes, we were healed. We now know the medical industry has diagnosed 39 major illnesses. And then there's a lot of subsidiary illnesses. But 39 major illnesses. For each illness, there's a stripe. For each stripe, there's blood that has been shed. The greatest healing that we can ever receive is that healing that we were transferred from the power of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Because ultimately, we're only here 70, 80, 90 years, 50 years, 60 years, whatever God gives us, whatever God allots us. And sometimes our own diet allots us. Really, we live terribly and sometimes we live in communities uh, that spew toxic stuff and it shortens our lifespan here in the natural. But when he saved us, he did not save us just so that we could have more money here on earth. I'm going to say that again. Jesus didn't save us so we could have a Cadillac. There's a lot of prosperity preaching out there, and I believe in prosperity. I believe that God will provide for all of our needs. I have no problem with that. But that's not the major message of the Bible. That's the minor message. Amen? Say it in there, it's the minor message. The greatest healing is our relationship. I'm going to submit something to you this month. What's more important? That you be one of the six winners or one of the three winners in last week's lotto? Or that you be rich in relationships? Somebody say, hey, give me the lotto any day of the week. <laughs> but no, in reality, the greatest riches a person can have is a relationship. Starting with our relationship with Almighty God. Because my relationship with Almighty God empowers everything else about me. Empowers my future, my destiny. Because bottom line is, let's say you have half a billion dollars. Well, in the Old Testament, it spoke about a guy that was rich. He had made a lot of money. He says, now I'm about ready to retire. So now what am I going to do? Well, I'll make more money. So I'll build bigger barns. And that night, the death angel came to him. He said, you fool. Don't you know you're going to die tonight? So what, what, what are the riches going to do for you? It's right in, right in the scriptures. That's not the big issue. The big issue is relationship. And that's what God restored. So that's the biggest healing I can have. So in all of my relationships from now on, right now I look around the room, there's a, a lot of possible relationships that I can form with all of you. There are relationships I already have with some of you. Every major victory I've ever had has always included a great relationship. Has always included somebody being a door for me to the next phase of my journey. And God came to restore that. By his stripes we were healed. First healing and the greatest healing is our relationship with him and then my relationship with the body of Christ, with my brothers and sisters here. Amen. That's more important to me than money. Give me a good relationship, I'll take that any day of the week. I have found that I am an answer to somebody. I am somebody's deliverer. And I have found that I have deliverers that have come to my life at key moments in my life. It might be a spiritual deliverer. People that have come and given me 
the word I needed, the verse I needed, the prayer that I needed. People, God always works through his body. Amen. Come on, you're going to praise him, praise him. God has also blessed me with financial deliverance. By that I mean people that are in the right place to help me get that job, open that business. And you know, it's God's will. God desires that we prosper. He has no problem with that. But by his stripes, we were healed. And that's the primary thing, the relationship aspect. But also, he comes to heal your body. See, while he worked in his earthly ministry, he healed those that were sick. Now, I don't understand it 100%. I just know that if I lay hands on the sick, I've been told in Scripture, I lay hands on the, uh, on the sick and let God, how can I say, translate that precious anointing from me to a person. It's him. He's the one that does the healing. But I've also come to understand that we're only going to be here a certain amount of time. Yeah, a person might be 89, ready to go with the Lord, 75, ready to go with the Lord. We can't stop that process because that's the timing of God for that person. So I'm not going to decide who gets healed, who, who gets not. I just know that there is, the anointing has been released for that. So there are times when God will use us to heal somebody else. There are times where you're in your living room and you're sick and you're sick, you lay hands on yourself. And the anointing will flow through your hands right to your, your body. Again, I don't know how it works. I just know that on the cross, amen, that was also purchased for us, for you and for me. Say to neighbor, that's part of our inheritance. The third place was when they were taking him to Pontius Pilate. He had to stand trial. Trial for what? For healing people? No. Because he stood up in the sanctuary or in the temple and he said, he read Luke 4.18, right? What we, what we know today as Luke 4.18, but it was a book of Isaiah. And he says, I am the one that this is speaking about. I have been anointed to preach the gospel. I've been anointed to set the captive free. I have been anointed. Then he goes on his discourse and shares. People look at him and say, uh, aren't you the carpenter? Aren't you the son of Joseph and Mary? Why are you saying this? And he offended people like you wouldn't believe. That's what he was on trial for, for declaring he was the son of God. Mm, my God. So they took some thorn branches, they wove it into a crown, and then they thrust it upon his head. got to be very careful because this thing will cut me. Notice, it's the same type of thorn that grows out of the ground. Because it is. It comes from a thorn bush. They made this from similar material. This is actual thorn bush. And this is one of the most nastiest things you could put on your head. Actually, even touching it, you have to be careful. Right now I'm being very careful because I might get cut. You feel it. There. Just, just lightly touch it, my man. This is what they thrust in Jesus' head. That's one of the less spiky ones. Touch it very lightly. I was going to pass it around, but I'll, I'll, we'll have at least five ambulances outside the church. So I'd rather just touch it very lightly. Right now, roses have something similar but much smaller. The head is one of the most sensitive parts of the body, especially the cranium area. This thing must have hurt Jesus so bad. Talk about migraine to the hundredth degree. 
But isn't it interesting where it was actually placed? It was placed on his head. You, you touched it about 10 times already. <laughs> Some of these embedded into his skull. Because they didn't just put it lightly. They thrust it. And immediately he started bleeding. Do me a favor, Jerry. Take it very carefully. And, and just pass it. No, don't pass it. Just you go yourself. And show, don't, don't let people handle that because be very careful, my brother. Imagine that on a person's head. Well, this actually happened. My God. Where did it come from? From the ground. Remember the curse in the Old Testament? Jesus, he bled on that. So that is symbolic of a curse that comes on the ground. What does the ground do for us? It produces for us. It's real estate. It's valuable. It's influence once again. They said, all hail king of the Jews. And then they thrust it upon his head. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9, Jesus became poor that we may become rich. Now, again, in its proper connotation, that word rich there doesn't mean that now we can buy five Cadillacs. It's now that we're rich because now we become part of his family. We have a rich inheritance. We now have eternal life. Pulsing through us. We now are part of the family of God. So all of our need is met according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So say, say to your neighbor, neighbor, all of my needs are met. What was taken away from me in the garden was restored to me. When the blood of Jesus touched the thorns. So brother, whatever the enemy meant for evil in your life now God turns it around because the blood was applied not just for your authority not just for your, your willpower not just for your future and destiny but also that place that produces for you it's been blessed it's been redeemed back for you see that starts getting exciting for me because before I thought I didn't have a choice I thought I didn't have authority that's why I was telling you earlier on, you have to watch the words you say. Because many of us don't understand the power we hold by virtue of the fact that all these areas were blessed and redeemed for us. When we're saved, amen, we're saved. But now we need to learn how to walk as a Christian. It's just what I don't like about church. I go to church and I have to stop doing this, stop doing that. It's not about stopping. It's about starting. See, you were acting like one that had no hope. You were trying to imitate people that they're celebrating on... on Friday nights and Saturday, they're dancing the night away. You know, they're dancing the night away, but Sunday they're miserable. Their life is upside down. They've been divorced 30 times already because they, they can't have any relationships because their relationships are cursed. Everything they touch turns to dust. See, but this is... Finish, brother? You sure? Not too many people cut? Thank you, sir. Excellent. Appreciate that. Elder, can you please put it back? Thank you. Be careful, sir. It's funny. I told him, you know, be careful with that. So he just goes and handles a rose and gets cut by the rose. 
So that means I can come into a place and speak life where there was death. I can speak to my finances. I can go to my finances. Finances? You've been blessed. You've been redeemed. My father's the owner of all the gold and the silver. I'm not going to walk in depression anymore. I'm going to walk in the joy of the Lord. See, but that area was touched. I'll talk to you about that a little later on. But I can go to the future job. I can speak to the job. I can speak to my relationships. I can speak over my children. I can speak over my husband, my wife. I can speak over my community. My, I can speak over my... I can bless the building. I can go right to the building. I command you to be blessed. Hallelujah. Why? Because I, I now walk in the authority of God. Hallelujah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel this thing now. Praise God. I'm starting to feel this thing now because, see, many times I walk by places and I want to be tempted to go back and think in my Adamic nature. Oh, what's the use? What's the use? What do you mean, what's the use? I don't depend on this economy. Are you aware that an ambassador, we send an ambassador to a very poor com uh, com a country, rather, I'm sorry. He, we have a car for him. We have a plane for him. People in that country are eating bread and water and he's eating steak. Because he's an ambassador. He does not depend upon the economy of that country. He comes from a foreign a country, and that foreign country provides for all of his need. We are not of this earth realm anymore. We are kingdom citizens. We come from a higher order. Our provision does not depend on our boss. doesn't depend on the economy. My provision comes from Almighty God, from Abba, from Papa. By the way, he's the owner of all the gold and the silver. So I don't care what Channel 7 Eyewitness News tells me. I have something. I have some inside information. My needs are met according to his riches and glory. Come on, somebody praise him. Amen. Hallelujah. My land is blessed. It was cursed before, but now it's blessed. Say to your neighbor, my land is blessed. Jesus redeemed my land. Hallelujah. Amen. The fourth place that Jesus shed blood was on his hands. When they crucified him on the cross. On his hands. His hands bled. And you know, when you look at hands, hands represent authority. Hands represent labor. When Jesus bled from his hands, dominion was returned to us. My hands represent dominion because if I work, I can buy land. I can buy a home. I can buy a car. I don't need to beg anybody. I, I can do stuff for my own self. Amen. I got strength in my arms. And when, when Jesus, uh, he, when, when his hands started bleeding, the curse that was on our work, the curse that was on the ground, the curse was broken. So now when I work, it's blessed work. It's honorable work. And not only that, I'm anointed to prosper now. I'm anointed, glory to God. So wherever I go, the anointing of prosperity will follow me. Not a false prosperity, but knowing that God will meet all my needs. Knowing that God will give me grace and favor with my supervisors. If I have a business, God will give me favor in the community. And in that whole process, the biggest job is not to make money. The biggest job is to live my life in such a way that they will see Jesus in my business. That say, they will see Jesus in the labor of my hands. That they would be able to interact with me and say, glory to God. I don't know what it is about you, but you just spur me on to praise God. You spur me on to serve the Lord. You bless me. Amen. And the anointing is not just for the first level. There's some folk downstairs that are hearing this too that's for you too amen so give yourself a high five downstairs we have anybody in the in the internet we have we have a couple how much eight 
Hey, people on the internet, that anointing's for you too in the internet. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's not limited by time and space. This is for all of us, all of his children. When he died, he said, it's finished. I've done one work, just one time for everybody that's alive, that will be alive forevermore. My blood will touch the ages. So 2,000 years later, his blood is still blessing his children. Hallelujah. Say, say to your neighbor, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. The labor of my hands are blessed. The words that come out of my mouth are blessed. Amen. See, that's why it's important that we watch what we say. It's not, oh, man, I'm a Christian. I can't say this. I can't. Uh, oops, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, these people. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's that you have so much power that when you say something, it has authority in this earth realm. So when you curse somebody, yeah, I, I didn't mean it. I was just upset. Well, yeah, it doesn't make a difference. You have authority. If a police officer arrests you, he can't later on say, I was just playing. No, they'll arrest you. They'll take that serious. He'll write a ticket. Uh, I was just kidding. He hands you the ticket. <laughs> you still gonna have to pay the ticket. If a police officer is walking in the street with his uniform, I just don't feel like a police officer today. I just don't feel like it. It doesn't make a difference. He's walk he, he has the badge. This is not about what you feel like or not. You walk in that authority. So when you talk, man, I was just upset. You know, that's just the way I am. When I'm upset, you know, I just say things I don't mean. Excuse me. Imagine President Obama getting up in the morning. A couple of his hairs are on end. He's lost patience with his cabinet. He's lost patience with the people of the United States. Too much critics gets up and says, like, you know, all of you, I'm tired of you. You should all go fly a kite. Take a long walk off a short pier. What? He can't say that. He can't do that. By the time he ushers the first word, the cameras will turn off. He's not allowed because he has so much power that every word he says, the media will be on that, on every little thing that he says because he commands authority. Well, guess what? So do you. Channel 7 might not know that, but the devils know that. The principalities know that. The spirit realm knows that. That's why you have to be careful because what you bless is blessed. And what you curse, you have to watch out. My God. Hallelujah. Amen. The fifth place, they pierced his feet. When they pierced his feet, blood came down. Feet represent dominion also. Because in the Old Testament, it said, wherever you lay your feet, wherever you tread upon shall be yours. Feet represent your life journey. So our life journey many times goes through very difficult places. Look, look at your background. Some of the areas that you went to. Some of the areas that you walked on. Some of the sufferings. Well, God came to redeem that too. The blood touched that. The blood broke the curse of your journey broke the curse of that walk the Bible says in Deuteronomy 28 13 man is supposed to be the head not the tail we don't have to be trampled on anymore by Satan instead we are to trample him we're to trample these authority structures that had gotten in the way in our life in the past how many were just ready to prosper and then something boom gets in the way 
Anybody here? You're almost ready. You just can feel it in your bones. Suddenly, boom, something stops it. Over and over and over again. That can be an iniquitous pattern. It, it can be a, a spirit. It, it can be something even in your own self. Your own actions. Sometimes you're afraid and you pull back because you don't understand who you are. But no longer, people. Say, my journey is blessed. Wherever my foot touches is blessed. Glory to God. And then Mark chapter 16 verse 15 said this. Go into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This would be absolutely impossible unless we have authority to, to take this dominion over Satan's earthly kingdom. So when God tells us, Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world, preach my word. Do you think he sent them powerless? No, he sent them with power. He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Later on, you see in the book of Acts, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, how God did miracles through these men and women who partnered with them. They went forth, and they preached the word. And, and sometimes the local municipalities, the governors, the police officers would put them in jail. Guess what? They would have to let them go. One day, Peter... He gets arrested for preaching the gospel. So he's in prison. He's just sleeping there. Suddenly an angel touches him. He says, Peter, let's go. It's time to go. He gets up. He says, okay, angel. So he follows the angel outside of the prison. All the doors open up. And he goes right out. So finally when he looks outside, he says, oh, I thought this was a dream. There's a whole group of people praying for him in the house. Oh, please, Lord, deliver, deliver Peter. So he goes to their house and he knocks on the door. So one of the ladies goes to the door and sees Peter. She goes, Oh, my God, it's an angel. It's a spirit. They're praying, but they didn't believe what God was going to do. While they were praying, there was so much authority released that God sent an angel specifically to answer the prayer. Your prayers have been empowered. When I pray, I expect God not only to hear me, I expect God to answer me. I expect angels to be mobilized to start the process. It might not happen right away because sometimes things have got to be put in place. Oh, God bless me with a job. Okay, angel, do me a favor. Go and help my daughter. Go help my son. The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits. Help. Uh, they, they, they're sent here to help the heirs of salvation. So they go and they start the process. Sometimes they got to get a, a person out of a job into a better job. Because I believe that. He'll get them out of a job into a better position so that that position could open up for you. But sometimes it takes time. I just know that when I pray, things start to happen. Amen. Amen. When you pray, do things start to happen? Amen. It does. And I don't have to see the manifestation of it. I just know that it does. Because the authority that I command by virtue of the fact that Jesus redeemed that aspect for me. So now when I speak, I speak with authority. Now when, 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 I, when I relate anything, it has authority to it. When I pray, it has authority to it. So give praise to God today. Because even your praise has authority. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible says that in the Old Testament, when they used to praise, the enemy would get confused. When they used to praise, the enemy used to run away. When they used to praise, things would happen to allow gold and silver to come to them. There was one example. When a whole army, uh, the whole army of God, they went to the enemy camp. And what they did was instead of bringing 
weapons of warfare, they went praising. And they, they, the, the praise was, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Imagine hundreds and even thousands of men just walking in march. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And the worshipers went in the front line. But what happened was, is God saw the praise, got involved with it, and then he sent the angels to the enemy camp, and then God amplified the sound to such a degree that the enemy camp got confused, and they started killing themselves. By the time they got there, all the enemy was gone. All that was left was gold and silver and fancy clothing. It took them three days just to pick up all the gold and the silver and the fancy clothing. And then they went back home saying, praise the Lord. For his mercy endures forever. And then you know, I could imagine some of the guys, give me a high five. Give me a high five. Amen. Hallelujah. See, so that's why I'm going to praise my way to the battle. I'm going to praise my way in the middle of the battle. I'm going to praise my way after the battle. I'm going to give praise to my God because my mouth has been redeemed also. Hallelujah. I remember in the past... You know, things didn't work out for me. Ah, punch the wall, break a chair. Ah, At the end of the day, what happened? I have another bill. I have to call the plaster man. I have to buy more chairs. Then my wife wouldn't speak to me for six months. Didn't do anything good for me. But working in the new nature, lives are changed. Circumstances are reversed. Amen. The Bible says we are now co-heirs with Christ. We have authority restored. The sixth place he shed blood was when a soldier pierced his heart with a spear while he was on the cross. They wanted to ensure he was dead. So a soldier pierced him on the side and now came water and blood. Water and blood because the heart had been pierced. In very um, stressful situations, and especially Jesus being on the cross for that many hours, uh, he developed a lot of water in his lungs, could barely breathe in his last moments. And so when, he pierced, uh, when they pierced his heart, out came blood and water because of that severely stressful condition. Somebody once said, and it just it moved me when they said that, it's interesting, when you have a birth, what comes out? Blood and water. So when he pierced that aspect, out came the church. Isn't that awesome? But when he pierced his heart, the heart was literally broken. Part of his assignment in Luke 4.18 is he, he came to heal the brokenhearted. Is there anybody brokenhearted here? A lot of us brokenhearted. But God came to heal that. He came to restore to you the joy of the Lord. He came to restore to you a joyful heart. He came to restore to you peace in your heart. His heart would, would, was broken so that your heart would be healed. Blood was shed for your joy. Blood was shed for your peace. So say to me, say, Jesus, I receive your joy today. Jesus, I receive your peace. Amen. You see, in peace, the, the, the peace of God, the Bible says, it passes understanding. It should pass understanding because many Christians are going through very difficult times and yet they're still praising God, yet they're still joyful. And the, and the world will look at them and say, why in the world should you be joyful? You should be depressed just like me. I'm depressed. I don't understand why you should be joyful. You're going through something more difficult than me. They cannot understand the joy of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus came to redeem back our joy. 
Because our joy is not dependent on a, on a temporary situation here. We are eternal beings living a temporal existence here on earth. But in Spanish, they call it peregrinos. We are pilgrims here. We're just passing through. We are ambassadors of another nation, of another country. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So my joy is not contingent about what I see this moment. My joy is contingent upon the fact that I know that even though I'm in this stuff, it's just temporary because I really don't belong to this. I'm like the eagle. I look above the problem, above the issues. I don't get involved in that lower level. I'm from here. I'm sitting with Jesus and we're discussing these things. And from that place, in heavenly places, I'm saying, Jesus, here's my report. Here's my declaration. This is what I confess over this situation. Hallelujah. Why? Because you are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't be an ambassador if you're not walking in the authority of an ambassador, right? You cannot be an ambassador unless you're certain and your heart is certain that you have the authority. And when the ambassador comes, he doesn't come, oh, you know, I'm sorry to say, we can't do anything for you. No. The ambassador comes in, he says, Mr. President, I come here from my country, and we just want to let you know that we have good news for you. In that area, we can meet it by doing this for you. In that other area, we have this for you. We have an agreement. We have a contract. We have some money. Whatever it may be, an ambassador comes to give good news. So he comes with a great attitude. He comes with a smile. He or she. Amen. Isn't it time we start smiling in our situation? Isn't it time that the smile gets restored to your face? You know why it has to be restored in your face? Somebody says, well, smile on the inside. It's not enough. People have got to see your smile. Amen. It's like some, some Christians, they come into the church and you don't, they don't move a muscle. They say, dude, come on, let's praise them together. So I am praising them. It's on the inside. I'm jumping on the inside. No, no, no. We have to have some manifest praise. Some manifest joy. How do you know I'm joyful? My face says it all. <laughs> My actions. Hallelujah. I know some of you men, you, you're joyful when the Giants win. You're joyful when the Knicks win. You were joyful a couple of weeks ago when we had Linsanity. Amen. Right? See, in the natural, we know how to get that joy up. Come Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday or something like that, all the men are happy. The other day, some of you got together for Royal Rumble or something like that. All these young men were happy. Don't bother me. I'm going to the Royal Rumble. Is that what it was called? Just goes to show you. I know y'all were happy. Who wanted the Rock to win? Who wanted Cena to win? Yeah, you know it had to be the Rock. But you know what I love about that? I love, I love about it. That reminds me of Jesus. Because it was a fixed fight. Because they knew, they sat down, they decided who was going to win. When the enemy comes at me, I might have to do three rounds with him. But it's a fixed fight. Because my elder brother already paid the price. I'm already a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. I might get a little bloody, but I know I'm winning. Because he promised it to me. Hallelujah. I'm not going to back down because I already won. My elder brother, he, he, already, he already gave me the deed. He said, the, the deed says I won. The deed said I, I'm an owner now. Praise God. Hallelujah. The seventh place was his bruises. Isn't it interesting? 
All of those are external, but bruises are internal. He was bruised for our iniquities. Those patterns that keep on repeating themselves. Those besetting sins that are internal and nobody sees. You might look successful on the outside, but inside you're torn apart by issues that keep on repeating themselves. And iniquity could mean a wicked act of sin, but it could also be a spiritual force on the inside that pressures us to bow down or break under its destructive nature. A bruise means that you're bleeding on the inside. The Lord Jesus heals us on the inside, not just on the outside. He bled on the outside, but he also bled on the inside. And he gives us power now so that we can walk in victory because it's our internal condition that determines our external manifestation. Our external victory or defeat is dependent upon our mindset on the inside, upon our condition on the inside. So many look on the outside good, they dress well, but I tell you, you open up and you sit down and talk with them, they have many issues, many hurts, many pains. We just learn how to mask it up real good. We learn how to put up the makeup, how to dress, how to speak. How's everything? Same old, same old. How you doing? Things all right? And we're cool about it. But we really want to say, no, no, no. I'm messed up. I need help. I need some prayer. Maybe some of you here today, you have bruises on the inside. I will let you know that that seventh place, Jesus bled so that that bruise can be made whole. So that internal pain could be made whole. So that internal struggle could be healed and you could be set free and delivered once and for all. Before it controlled you, but now you can control it. Hallelujah. So what do, we, what do we go from here? What do we do? Well, first thing is take responsibility for your relationship with God. Don't depend on somebody else's relationship. Well, I'm all right because pastor's a great man of God. Well, what about you? You're also a great man or a woman of God. Take responsibility for that. Develop that relationship because that's the linchpin of your victory. That's the source. That's the foundation of your victory. Hallelujah. Second thing is recognize the areas where you've been attacked and apply the blood to it. Plead the blood. Don't plead insanity. Don't plead guilty. Plead the blood. The third thing is plead the blood over those areas. Just pray. I pray over this area. And Father, I thank you that I've been redeemed, that your blood was shed on that area. So I declare victory over that area. The fourth thing is walk in love and joy. It's an amazing thing. When you determine to walk in love and joy and forgiveness, the doors start opening up for you. You know why? God already has planned to bless you. But sometimes he has to keep some blessings away because he understands that if you walk in it in the wrong spirit, you'll misuse it. Remember that verse? He will not throw his pearls to the swine. He will not give that anointing or he will not activate that anointing until you're ready to be able to carry it as a king or as a priest or as a prince or princess. When you're ready, he'll go, okay, now my daughter's ready, my son is ready. <laughs> he's just waiting on you. I can't wait. For, uh, where's God? He's there. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to activate your walk as an ambassador. Hallelujah. So today, determine that you're going to start working, walking like that ambassador. Amen. That he's looking for. People need you. They're waiting for you. They're waiting. You are somebody's deliverer. 
Somebody's still not delivered because you haven't got your act together. My God. Walk in love, joy, and forgiveness. The fifth point is purposely align your words and thoughts with God's word. We have a tendency to let our brain ramble. Anybody here during the day? You're walking and suddenly you realize, I'm thinking about, why am I thinking about this? Your brain will just continue. It's almost like a reel that plays itself over and over and over again. Don't you get tired of that? Of course we do. So take control of your mind, your thoughts, and align your words and your thoughts with the word of God, with his promises, with your purpose. Because that has a lot to do with the way you will manifest Christ's love in and through you. Number six, walk in your authority. Say to your neighbor, walk in your authority. Number seven, walk in obedience. We have to walk in obedience. When we walk in obedience, heaven opens up to us. Even, uh, even in the area of giving, the Bible says when we release the tithe, the windows of heaven open up. See, when we operate in obedience, well, I don't feel like giving the tithe this week. It doesn't make a difference. I, I, I give the tithe. I pay the tithe in the church. Not because I feel it or I don't. I just know that I'm walking in obedience. If, if the Lord tells me, stay away from this sin, ah, I, well, I feel like going into the sin today. Well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what my flesh wants me to do because I know it's not right. So I'm going to obey God and I'm going to stay away from that. Well, but I don't have the willpower. For, wait, well, your, your willpower has been restored. So today you could claim your willpower again. Today you could claim your authority. Today you could claim the power of God. Today you could declare that your walk is blessed. Why? Because Jesus already paid the price. Now all you need to do is activate it in your own personal life. And lastly, understand your work in progress. Say to your neighbor, I haven't arrived yet. I'm in process. So you need to be patient with yourself. You need to love yourself too. The Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's not a problem to love yourself. You can't love neighbor until you love self. You need to appreciate who God made you to be. Now, if you don't understand, man, I'm a nasty dude. I'm a nasty, you know. Some people see themselves in a very, very bad way. Get rid of that image. God doesn't see you that way. He sees you like a royal citizen. He sees you as his own son, as his own daughter. Adopt that relationship from now on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So in conclusion, we have his guarantee. Ephesians 1.13 says this, And now you also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. On the cross, he, he saw, or rather we saw God in the flesh make provision to help us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. As God's partner, we beg you not to reject this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says this, at the right time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Today is the day of redemption. Today is the day of restoration. Today is the day that you swap the old clothing for new clothing. That's why the message of Easter is so awesome. Hallelujah. When he came out, he came with authority. When he came out, he, he came ready to do business. Ready to activate that which he already paid the price for. 